Welcome to the Living Anchored Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Shores Church in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. My name is Scott Lorraine, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we'd love for you to take a few moments and listen to our most recent sermon. We believe that it will bless your life and help you live a life anchored to Jesus Christ. Our first value, and I just want to do a little poll and by the way, there is and always will be a cheat sheet in your bulletin. But what is our first core value? Okay, some of you are starting to figure it out. What's our first core value? I'm going to keep saying it until I get everybody. What's our first core value? The reason why I hang up on that is if we can't even say every person, how are we going to go out and go after every person? We have to own this. Number two is what? Oh, see, we just dropped off from every person to experiencing Christ. Come on, I need some volume. I need some crowd participation. What's number two? There we go. What's number three? What did we talk about last week, and I just talked about a couple moments ago? That one doesn't sound as popular. What's our fourth one? There we go. Our fifth one, then, today is common unity. I'm going to get there in a minute what that means, but go ahead and start repeating with me. Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life According to your word, your word, O Lord, is eternal. What is common unity? And you're going to see I'm going to go uh, a couple different paths to ultimately get here to this answer of what is common unity today. I want to start with a word that is, was almost my launching point for this message is community. You can see how community and common unity are, look very similar and I believe they have a lot to, to do working together. So here's this with community, that we can define it as something, something, a grouping of people, a fellowship of common attitudes, interests, goals. Even when you look at St. Clair Shores and you say, what is our community like? Well, here's one of the things that I find interesting about the community of St. Clair Shores. When I talk with other pastors, uh, especially ones that, uh, I was, was friends with, I came over here and they asked, well, what's the community like? And I'm still, if I'm going to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what St. Clair Shores is as a community. I, you, can, you can say, oh, well, how do you not know after two and a half years? Well, part of it is part of St. Clair Shores it has an urban aspect to it because of our proximity to Detroit. You have a very, like, you can go and you can get into downtown Detroit and see a a baseball game in a matter of 10, 15 minutes. There, there is that feeling of you, you have some urban aspect, you have some suburban aspects that go on, and then you also have some almost small-town America aspects. When you go through St. Clair Shores, you can realize there's not a lot of chain restaurants or chain businesses. There's a lot of small mom-and-pop places. It's a weird mixture that has developed over the years, but it's part of what makes this community this community. That 
having this combination of small-town America, suburban, urban, it's, it's a really interesting mix. In that for all of you, you either live in this general area, and you can almost make the similar statements about the surrounding communities, or you lived in this area at one point, and then you moved maybe 15, 20 minutes out, and then you say, I still want this to be my church, so you live in a different community, but now you drive into this community for church. This happens with work as well. How many of you work more than 20 minutes away from where you live? How many of you work just, those of you, keep your hands up for a minute. How many of you work maybe more than 30 minutes away? 40 minutes away? 50 minutes away? 60 minutes away? You see, all of a sudden, you start saying, like, I'm willing to work here because I like my work community, but at the same time, I want to live over here because I like my living community. And while I like both of them, I don't want to intermingle them because I like this and I like this, and so I'm willing to drive. In, In America, it's a very common thing for people to drive 30, 40, 50 minutes. When I... Annie and I were first interviewing here, our initial thought was, well, we live 30 minutes away. We like the community that we live in. We like the the church. We like this community. Maybe we just continue to live in Livonia, and then we'll just drive over here. And that got old very quickly because it became sometimes almost an hour drive. But I remember one of the things that the board said in our initial interview is, you do plan on moving over here, right? Talking about we don't live that far away. You need to move to the east side. You know that. I remember that, and Annie just and I just kind of joking and laughing about it. It's like it's not that different. It's all Detroit. And then we realize it's not all Detroit. The community was different, and we wanted to be a part of the community, so we moved into the community so that we could experience it. Here's one of the things too: is churches are very much the same way. As you can look around our country, you can very easily find churches of all sizes, shapes, backgrounds, belief systems, and people will travel to go to a church that has the, the ministries, the programs, the size, whether big or small that they want. They're willing to move and go here and there. And one of the things that's dangerous for struggling churches is this, is that when they notice this, they all of a sudden start trying to grab every little thing from every other church because they want to 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 not lose people. They want to gain as many people as possible. So they start trying to do all these other things. And what happens is there's an erosion of who they are and what their core identities are. And all of a sudden, they start begin to become like every other church or every other thing in the world. And they lose their identity. And then they start dying. And a dying church is hard to bring back. One of the statements that I've heard some of our leadership and in, in Michigan say is that it is easier often to start a new church than to save a church that's dying, simply because if you make the comparison to giving birth, giving birth is a long, difficult process, but it's substantially easier than bringing the dead back to life. Think about that for a moment, is all of you in here were once born. How many people in here were raised from the dead? You see, even within churches, it's easier to say, well, let's just start a new church. And you see that happening all the time, all over uh, America, as you see new churches popping up and older churches eventually dying if they don't change, because change is a very scary word. How many of you like change? I see a couple hands. 
How many of you, when you hear the even word change, the inside of your skin begins to, to crawl and you become uncomfortable? How many of you are willing to face it and say, okay, I'll, I'll go for it. I'm, I'm going to be scared, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. And some of you didn't answer because you're afraid to answer. That's okay. That's okay. There's three different types of churches that I want to bring up this morning that you can be. Church one is a new church plant. It's new life and something that intends to grow. The leadership of an, an, a new church like this has to become entrepreneurial. Just as a, a curiosity, how many of you would say like your spirit is an entrepreneurial spirit, that you like coming up with plans and just running with them, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's got to happen. I saw a couple hands. My entrepreneurs, you should be like super proud, like this is me. All right. Our second stage is what the first stage church hopes to become someday. It's well-established, it's healthy, it's meeting the needs of its community. And the leadership at this point, really, it's starting to become a well-oiled machine. It's running properly. It's almost like they need to stoke uh, the church like you would stoke a fire of, okay, it's decreasing a little bit, let's put the next log on. Oh, that log looks like it's blocking some oxygen. Let's, let me take it, let me move the prod a little bit, move the log, okay. It's, it's burning good now. I can take a step back. Let me observe. Let me watch. Okay, it needs something else. And it's maintaining and it's helping grow so that it becomes a good fire. But what happens a lot of times is that you get into the third stage church, is that you have a well-established, healthy church that all of a sudden it's not maintained properly and it's not uh, been taken care of, and the fire begins dying. And once the fire begins dying, it's hard to get that fire back again. And so you have this life cycle of churches that requires different leadership. Even, let me give you an example, especially of the first uh, two churches, is that when Walt Disney started Disney, he was an entrepreneurial. He took a lot of chances. He almost went bankrupt. He had a, an initial character. Does anybody know what the initial character was? It's not Mickey Mouse. Oswald the rabbit. Oswald was the initial character by Disney. He lost Oswald. Then he created Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is where he became famous because he said, you know what? I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep trying. He was an entrepreneurial mindset. Somebody who said, I'm going to dream something bigger. I'm going to say it doesn't exist yet, but I'm going to make it exist. The individual who would bring not just animation, not just color to animation, but speaking to color animation. Something that seemed impossible, but all of a sudden, Walt Disney is doing it and is, is creating. Who would have known back when it all started with a mouse that it would become what it is today? Now, the interesting thing is I'm curious that if Walt Disney was around today, would he actually be successful at running his own business? Because even when you just look at the theme parks, they make $2.2 billion a year through 12 different theme parks. They have... Uh, that breaks down to $6 million of profit per day through their 12 theme parks. Each park is making approximately half a million dollars a, a day. Think of that in your own mind for a second. Can you process a, running a business where it is making just that small little component is making half a million dollars a day? I don't know if Walt Disney could have done that first. He, he created it. He established it. He had the entrepreneurial spirit. He had the spirit of what a church planner is, is there's nothing here, let me take something and create. But then all of a sudden, to make it to that next stage, you have to say, we're willing to change and adapt to become what we could be. And leadership has to change with it. 
And then at a moment, if the leadership can't maintain it, you start tending, trending down, and all of a sudden you have to come alongside and say, I've got to bring new life to this again. And one of the things that Annie and I, we have over and over again through all of our years of ministry, we feel like every single time that God calls us to something new, it's to that aspect of saying, okay, here's a ministry, it's not where it should be, but oh, there's so much potential. And we feel like every single thing that God has called us to do has been along those lines. And when we succeed and we accomplish it, God then calls us to the next thing. And every challenge gets a little bit harder and a little bit harder, but God's always there and God's always involved with it. And so when we came two and a half years ago, we saw a lot of changes. If we had told you, here's what everything is gonna happen in two and a half years, first I'd be a liar because I would have had no idea of all the stuff that's happened in the last two and a half years. But we would have scared you if we said all of these things are gonna be completely different in two and a half years from now. One of the things that's even scary about this notion is when I came two and a half years ago, just, just another quick question. How many of you have been here five years or longer? Turn around and look, look at all those hands, okay? How many of you have been 10 years or longer? 15? 20? 25? 30? 35? I'm gonna stop there for a particular reason. Some of you have been attending this church longer than I have been alive. And I don't say that in a joke. But two and a half years ago, I came in and said, here's the things that need to change in this church. And you have been attending this church longer than I have been alive. But as you notice, things have changed. Things are exciting. Things are, God's moving. Here's my next question. How many of you have started attending this church in the last two and a half years? And I know that there's other hands that, that aren't here this morning. There's people who are attending this church who weren't attending two and a half years ago. There is consistency from some of you that, yeah, you were attending two and a half, three years ago, but it wasn't with a, a great consistency that you've started coming in the last two and a half years. But one of the things that Annie and I, we have talked about over and over again, it was the, some of you know this, some of you don't know this, when Annie came I believe it was the first Sunday after the deals had announced that they were transitioning. Annie came and brought, I believe it was Quinn with her, and she snuck in because we just wanted, we had heard about it, we were curious, is that a potential fit? She came to church here, and you guys greeted in, in a moment where there was so much change that was happening, and so much, I'll even use the word worry of, what's it going to be like? What's it going to look like? Who still greeted my wife? and greeted my daughter with smiles on your face, took care of them. This church, if I could say one thing that this church has going for it, has always had going for it, and I haven't even had to think about changing, is community. This church has a strong community, has a strong culture. And it's one of the things that we fell in love with this church. But let's, going back to the initial question of what is common unity and me bringing up community in the first place, I know this is a long workaround to get to this point. I want to look at the etymology of community. So some of you, you're like, what does etymology mean? Cheryl's back there celebrating because I said etymology in a sermon. Here's this. The word community is derived from the Latin communitus or fellowship. Communitus is derived from communis. Don't worry if you're already confused with the Latin. You're going to understand in a moment. The prefix com signifies with 
together in conjunction joint. If we remove com from the Latin, that leaves you with munis, which derives from munere, meaning to fortify, strengthen, or defend. So what is community when you really break it down to the original uh, wording from, from where it came from? It essentially means together we are strengthened, also known as strength in numbers. You see, we, we look at the community so much and we, we try and say, well, it's where I live or it's this or it's that. It's when people who are like-minded and are working together come together, their strength. As the church, each and every one of us on our own aren't necessarily strong or capable of going on a consistent basis by ourselves. But when we come together, there is strength in numbers because it's not about us, but it's about the one who is in us who is greater than us. And that when we come together, we can accomplish a purpose much greater than ourselves because it's all about Jesus Christ. And so when we look at community, that we have strength in numbers, but today I want to break it apart just a little bit. Because when I look at community, I look at two words that, that come off the, the page at me is common unity. Because I don't want to just have community, because anybody can have community. The parents on a soccer team can have community. The, uh, the football parents can have community. The dance parents can have community. You can have community at the bar. You can have community in a lot of places and say, well, we have strength because we have strength in numbers and we all believe the same thing. But I want to go a step further to common unity. You see, when we look at common, it's something that's occurring. It's done often. Let's even use the word uh, communion. We take communion. It's something that we do often because we do it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. So common is something done over and over again, done often, Unity, one last Latin breakdown for you this morning. Uh, unitem, oneness, sameness, agreement. So to say we want to value common unity means this. We want to value doing the same things often in agreement. What are the same things? Whatever this book says. This book is what we base our lives on. When we go through all five values, let me do them quickly and then I'm going to do it again later. We value every person because every person was created in the image of God. We value experiencing Christ because when we experience him, our lives are completely different and they can never go back to being the same. We value intentional discipleship because when we are intentionally discipled, we become more like Christ. Just as a reminder, the initial word, because we can look at disciple and discipleship, and we think, well, they went to a class and they continue going to a class or they keep going to Bible studies. That's not what discipleship is. Let me destroy your paradigm of thinking discipleship is just going to classes. Discipleship was the, and being a disciple was the original word given to the followers of Jesus. And then along the lines in the New Testament, and um, blanking on the chapter, I believe it's Acts 6 is the first time where they are identified as Christians or little Christ. But to go out and make disciples means to go out and make Christians. It's not go out and make good Bible studies. It's not go out and get good knowledge and good understanding. No, it's to go out and do. It's to believe in Christ and then do what Christ did. That's what it means to make disciples. 
joyful generosity. It's what we're about because we need to further the kingdom because we have the best product on the face of the earth and everybody should know about it. And we need to do everything we can to do it here and around the world. And so when we come now to common unity, we need to do those things in agreement, working together. So what does the Bible have to say about common unity? Because some of you are thinking, you're halfway through your message and you haven't read anything from the Bible yet. Here we go. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So when we look at that, there's three things, and hear them again, that we must do for common unity. Verse 1 says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. The three things that we need to do to truly have common unity as a church is that we need to hear and take in Scripture. This book should be the most important book, the most important possession that's in your house. I don't care if it's done digitally. I don't care if you have a, a nice one. I don't care if you're using the same one from when you were a teenager and, or from when you were a kid and you had the, the salty Bible. How many of you had a salty Bible? And who knows what salty is? I'm really edging myself. Okay. I don't care what version of the Bible you use, as long as it is God's scripture and it is his holy word and you're studying it and you're taking it in and you're believing it and you're growing, we need to hear and take in scripture if we want to be on the same page, if we want to have common unity. The second thing is we must see God move. We need to come together around something. The thing that's easy is to say, well, let me just go to church because it's the right thing to do. Let me check off the box and then Nothing is going to change. I'll put, the, I'll put my Bible back on the shelf, and then I'll come back at it again next week so I can check off the box. I'm in, not interested at all in checking off the box Christians. Just saying, well, I came this week. I gave this week. No, it, we need to experience God, and we need to see God move in every aspect of our lives. Because when we do, we have something to rally around. When we have something to rally around, then all of a sudden what we do, what we say, how we act, where we go, all that changes. It's really easy, and I know I, I like using sport metaphors because I like sports, but when a game that I care about comes on the TV, I change my schedule because I want that experience. When God comes on the, the scene, and all of a sudden changes what's going on, and all of a sudden we're rallying around what God's doing and God's moving, then all of a sudden we change everything so that we can focus on what God's doing. That has to be something that we fundamentally care about is seeing God move and having that experience. And then the third thing is we must touch it with our hands. Next week when the warming center signups go up, that's an opportunity to touch Christianity, to touch God, to touch with your hands. You have to do something. You have to get involved. Because if we're going to rally around something, it requires us to get involved, to get our hands dirty. 
When you get your hands dirty, you have ownership in something. When you have ownership in it, you want to see it grow. You want to see it succeed. You want to see God move. Even as I go through those, it sounds a lot like intentional discipleship and experiencing Christ, the things that we value. Because all of these things are interconnected. They all matter. I want you to hear this for a moment. According to learningsolutionsmag.org, we as humans are forgetful. How many of you would agree that you're forgetful? Research on, they did a, a forgetting curve and that research shows that within one hour, people will have forgotten an average of 50% of the information that you present. That's really depressing for me this morning. Let's just do a quick poll. How many of you can break down the etymology of the word community? And if you have your notes, you're good. If you don't have your notes, you're like, pop test. Within 24 hours, they have forgotten an average of 70% of the new information and within a week, an average of 90%. 90% of the information that you're learning right now or hearing from me, by next week you will have forgotten. That's really encouraging. How do you think over the last five weeks I keep going, what's our first core value? Wait, <laughs> what's our first core value? Every person. There's a reason it's in your bulletin. There's reasons why it's going to soon be up on the walls in the church. It's because I don't want us to forget these. You may forget the passages that I use, but you cannot forget what we value as a church because if we forget what we value as a church, then who are we? Even this past week, I've been going back and forth whether to even bring this up or not, and I'm going to. I'm going to keep the details vague because the overall details don't really matter uh, that much the principle behind it does. There is an Assemblies of God church in North Texas that made a move last Sunday that within the Assemblies of God made waves. Most of you probably have not even heard of it, but they made a move to essentially pull themselves out of the Assemblies of God. The, the church has been uh, stripped of being considered an Assemblies of God church. The pastors that have remained have all lost their credentials in this past week because they made a move outside of the belief in the structure of the Assemblies of God because they wanted to be popular with society. They, they made a move, and hear me in this room, because I think that if you've been paying attention over the last five weeks and even today, you'll hear my heart with us, because what's our first core value again? Every person. Every person is created in the image of God, and I desperately want every person to wind up in heaven someday. Does everybody hear me and understand that? Okay. They made a move to say that they wanted to become a fully affirming LGBT uh, welcoming church where you could serve from either at the door as a greeter all the way to being a pastor on staff. And the Assemblies of God said that's not what our belief is. That's not what Scripture says. Yes, if you want to twist and move around to make that uh, said, you can do that. And this church, they're all the credentials for the pastors have been removed, that there's probably even in uh, the days and weeks to come whether the church is even going to be able to meet in that church because the way the bylaws and different things are written. But here's what I want you to understand. This book has to be the most important thing. What God says is truth. I will continue to preach what is in this book and not my opinion. 
I was joking with someone before service that they, they were mentioning something that someone had talked about that they believe was in the Bible, and I said, well, it probably is in Second Opinions, chapter 4. We, we have this problem of we're able to read things into Scripture that we want to be in Scripture, but if God didn't say it, then it can't be true. Now, with that being said, if whoever's in this room, how many of you have messed up and sinned in this past week? Okay, those of you that don't have your hands up, I want to come and learn from you. You can teach next week. Because I know I've said and done stupid things this past week, and my anger rises up or my, my fear rises up or whatever it may be. None of us are without sin, but every person matters to God. Every person matters to God. So I don't care who you are, what your belief structure is, God fully intends and created a plan for every single person to make it to heaven. So when we say common unity, we need to be rallying around the same thing and it is just, in our culture, going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to become something that we have to be aware of, of what is God saying? What is truth? This is, we're reaching a spot where when it comes to becoming a disciple, it's going to become very clear-cut, are you on this side or are you on that side? If you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm pretty good at hiding and I can put on a mask at, at work and I can put on a mask at the, uh, church or a mask at school or wherever I go and I can make myself kind of be a chameleon and fit in. There's coming a day in our culture very quickly where you're not going to be able to do that. There's coming a day very quickly within our culture that if I continue to preach every single word that's in this book, that I could find myself landing in jail for speaking hate crimes. Bring it on. I, there's part of me, as soon as I say that, like that, it hits me with fear of when I say bring it on, but at the same time, what I have to realize is this. I'm not living for this life. I'm living so that every person can experience God, that they can be intentionally discipled, that they can give joyfully, and that they can rally around the same set of beliefs that we do with common unity. We have to keep coming back to that of this is what we're about. There's a, a principle called the Pareto principle that states that 20% of your efforts will typically give you 80% of your results. Here's, let me kind of break this down a little bit so you can understand it. That 80% of usage is usually done by 20% of the users. For a good example of this is how many of you have ever been to a party where 20% of the people brought the food, but 80% of the people feel free to eat as much as they possibly can. Those of you who are laughing, you either fit into that, you're like, I'm part of the 20% and finally somebody's addressing this issue. Everybody else needs to come along and give their part of the food. And some of you are laughing because you're like, yep, I eat 80% of the food. I, I'm doing my part. Or we can look at 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of the customers. Give you an example. I walked into Michael's yesterday to buy something for our pre-K lesson this morning. I spent a big whopping 84 cents. I helped pay their light bill for a second. I'm sure that they liked getting my 84 cents, but I did not help their bottom line whatsoever. Or we can look at 80% of complaints come from 20% of customers. 
Those of you in customer service, you know that to be true. It's all of a sudden you start thinking, well, maybe I'm doing a really bad job. No, maybe it's four people who are telling you this and a hundred people who are walking in that love what you're doing but don't actually tell you what you're doing. Let me even tell you this, and this is something that I'm going to challenge all of you to never do again. All right, no, no putting your fingers, like crossing them behind your back. I, I want an agreement out of all of us in here. Never use this phrase ever again. Well, everybody thinks this. No, everybody doesn't think this. That's a lot of the times when I've heard that and someone has come and told me that, it's not everybody thinking something. It's you and maybe two or three other people who are too cowardly to actually say, this is what my opinion is, so I'm going to say, everybody thinks this. If you come and ask me something and you say, well, everybody thinks, I will literally, one of the first things that comes out of my mouth will be this, who's everybody? Well, I don't feel comfortable saying their names. Is that because you have to make them up? I mean, think about this for a moment. We're, as a society, we are so quick to criticize and we're so slow to, to give good news. This can even be true in, in the, the church world. Let, let me say, if we could take the Pareto principle and we could turn it upside down on its head, what if instead of saying that 20% of the people do all the work and do all the serving and do all the giving and do all of the fill in the blank, 80% of our church was doing? Imagine how quickly our church could grow. You see, because this Pareto principle is, it is so true across society. Now that you've heard it, this may be the first time you've ever heard of the Pareto principle, start looking around and notice how 20% of the people are doing the work uh, or 20% of the people are doing the giving or 20% of the people are making the sacrifices. If we as a church could say 80% of us, imagine if when I put the warming center signups next week, they only have to go out one week because everybody just signs up and everybody says, hey, instead of having this person do seven shifts, what if I did two shifts and they did two and this person does two and we all of a sudden, all of us own it and say, we want to reach out to the homeless in our community. We want to say that every person matters. We want them to experience Christ when they come in here. Maybe we could even have opportunities to disciple them when they're in here that we could give joyfully to them so that they could be impacted so that we could rally around a common unity. If 80% of us, that's not even 100, but 80% of us, all of a sudden it would change the culture and change what we're doing because 1 John 1 through 4 tells us that we need to hear and take in scripture, that we must see God move and we must touch this thing with our hands. We need to get our hands dirty. But why do we do this? Verses three and four give us the answer that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Why do we do this? Not that you would be happy or that I would be happy that you would get your way or that I would get my way, but so that other people would come into relationship, come into the family of God, that they would be able to be a part of our common unity that our numbers grow, and then we can have joy. That's what Scripture says, that when people come into relationship, into fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden our fellowship grows and we can have joy. 
what better joy is there to have? This is my mission. It's our goal. This is what we have to do. Now, here's the, the last part that I want to get through, and this might be one of the most crucial things in order to truly accomplish this because we can all say this, this is what we want, but this is where rubber hits the road. This is where we all have to work together on this. Verses 5 through 10 of 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In order to do this, we have to walk together. We have to say that we are going to do this together, that we are going to rally around this book, that this is who we are, this is our message, this is what we stand upon, 100% believing everything that this word says is true. Not twisting it, not putting in extra chapters in the second opinions, but saying that God is what we base everything off of and his word is true. In God, there is no darkness because God is light. That'd be a perfect spot for an amen. In God, there is no darkness because he is light. If we want to have strength in numbers, then that means that all of us have to move into the light and operate there. That if we are living in sin, then we are not living in the light. And if we're not living in the light, then we're not living in God's presence. And if we're not living in God's presence, then how in the world can we rally around this? What we have to come back to is the realization that as a community that's in common unity, there's strength in numbers when we do the same thing together over and over again for the purpose of winning people to Christ, that we need to be willing to call each other out. When you hear somebody who's gossiping about somebody else in the church or even someone outside of the church, say, hey, I love you enough to tell you, people in Shores Church, we don't gossip. You need to apologize to them. How many of you know that one saying that can be uncomfortable? How many of you are like your direct people and you're like, I've got no problem saying that. You're out of place. For, for, for you, John, John has a smile on his face back there. Um, but you have to be willing to do it. Why? Because that's what Scripture says, that we are supposed to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. If that's what our goal is, that's what our mission is, then we all need to do it together. If somebody has an issue or is angry with somebody, say, hey, have you talked to them? Well, no, I haven't talked to them yet. Well, how about I go with you so that you can talk to them so you can work through that so that you can move on to the other side into everything that God has for you? We as a church need to work together in this regard so that the word of God can go forth, that we're all rallying around the same playbook so that Jesus can be made famous. And that if, verse 9 said that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. In the efforts of going after every person, we have to realize that if God is willing to forgive us of all unrighteousness, if we believe what's in this book, he's willing to do that for other people. I'm friends with a lot of you on Facebook. 
I get to see what you post. Just being honest here, I'm really curious. Some of you are like, open your phone right now, like, what did I post last? What did I post? Let me just say it this way. If people looked at your Facebook post, if they could go through the last 10 or 20 posts, would they point people to Christ? Would the language you're using, would it point people to Christ? Would the news stories point people to Christ? And even when, as I say that, you're like, oh, I think the vast majority of them would. Is there one that would cause somebody to say, I really want to be here? We're about to enter in the next several months one of the most contentious periods of a four-year cycle of time. You guys know what it is? What is it? An election, a presidential election. We want to win people over to our side, which is, by the way, this, not a party. This, not a party. But all of a sudden, we'll do nothing but talk bad and throw mud at other people. What did Jesus tell us that people would do to his disciples? Anyone want to remember? Persecute. So when we get persecuted, we have one of two choices. In persecution, we can try and persecute back or we can pray. And I can tell you, if you try and persecute back, if you try throwing mud back, if you try going after the other person, what is most likely going to happen? They're going to be harder. We enter into a never-ending cycle. You want proof of that? Go back and look at political commercials from four years ago. Go back and look at the political commercials from eight years ago, from 12 years ago. All, we always say, well, political campaigns, they're, they're always so down. There's always so much fighting. Go back and look at the, the political um, uh, ads that you would have saw back when uh, George Bush or uh, George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or, like, you look at them and you can say, well, I didn't support whoever's politics. But when you looked at the commercials, they really weren't that offensive. Now they are. They keep growing and growing and growing. If you try and persecute people who persecute you, you fail every single time. But if you start praying for those people, imagine the change that could happen. And it's uncomfortable. But what would Christ have you to do? What would Christ have you to do? If you, here's the thing too. If you are preaching this book, if you are living this book, then people are already going to know where you stand on issues. Put this book above every single thing else. Put some of this book on your Facebook. Let people know that Jesus Christ is Lord and make him famous and then all the other stuff is going to work itself out. Because here's the thing that we know is at the end of the day, this world is going to pass away. But there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that if we are following after Christ, then Revelations 4 and 5 that I read earlier in the service, you will get to be a part of that worth worship and calling him worthy and holy. And when I, tr I ask you to try and imagine what that would look like, you would get to be a part of that. But we have to live this book to get there, but at the same time, every person. Notice, I'm going to keep coming back to every person over and over again. We will never stray off of this book. But every person matters. 
So this morning, here's what we're going to do as we go to end right now. We are going to take some intentional greeting time. We're going to do the Great Commission. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to release you. And here's what I want to have happen. Is before you leave, I want you to introduce, and this could be super uncomfortable or you may absolutely love doing this. I don't know. I want you to intentionally introduce yourself to two or three people in in this room, in the foyer, wherever it may be, that you don't know. Because if we're going to say that we have community, then we can't keep going to the same people because as this church continues to grow, we need to grow smaller as we grow bigger. It's the reason why anchor groups are so crucial. Because all of a sudden, if we doubled in size, you may say, half the people in this room I don't know. That's okay. Do you have a grouping at that point of 10, 20 believers that you can rally around and say, hey, my life is falling apart. I need you right now. We need to grow smaller as we grow bigger. And as we grow smaller, we create a base that's strong enough to hold the weight of of growth. We need to be a community. We need to have common unity so that Jesus Christ can be made known. I want every single person who ever walks in these doors to feel the same experience of community that Annie felt the first time she came in here when none of you knew who she was. When I came in here the the first time and met so many of you, I want everybody to have that. I want everybody to know what this is the DNA. This is who the Shores Church is. Care about people. So let's say the, the Great Commission together, keeping in mind that when it says disciples of all nations, that means a more practical word today would be Christians of all nations. We want to make followers of Christ. So go ahead and you can put that up on the screen. All right, say it with me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for my friends in this room today. Lord, that we would rally together as a community with common unity. Lord, that we know that we are stronger together than we ever could be separate, and we are going to continue to over and over and over again do the things that you have called us to do, serving together, working together, giving together, living together, loving together, so that people in our community know who you are. Lord, that as we've went through these five values over the last five weeks, Lord, Let it be something that strengthens us as a church. Let it become part of our DNA, Lord, that every single person that ever steps foot in this building or any person that we come in contact with, that they matter, that they know that we believe that they matter, that we may disagree, we may have struggles uh, in in conversation, but Lord, that they would know the, the way we live, that we view that they matter, that they're important, and that they have value because they were created in the image of God. Lord, that every single one of us and every person who enters here in our community would begin to experience Christ, experience on a deeper way than we ever had before, that if they've never met Christ, Lord, that they would have the opportunity to, but also, God, that us, that we would begin experiencing you on a deeper level, that you would become memorable to us, that we would never be able to forget, that we would become intentional disciples, not just learning information, but 
experiencing transformation, the way that we live so that we'll go out and we will serve, that we will be who you want us to be, that we will joyfully give on a consistent basis knowing that you gave to us first and that we will have a common unity, a common mission that we will go after and that's making you famous in our community. We give you this day. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a a couple moments, whether it's in here or in the foyer, I want you to intentionally introduce yourself to at least two or three people that you don't really know very well. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today on the Living Anchored Podcast. If this message impacted you, please remember to follow so you can see all of our content in the future and share on social media so other people can have their life impacted as well. Our mission at the Shores Church is to help people live a life anchored to Jesus Christ. So your help will definitely help us accomplish our goal. If you're interested in helping support our church financially, please go to theshoreschurch.org, click on Give, and you'll be able to do so that way. Have a blessed and incredible day, and we look forward to having you with us next time.